God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Uh, so today, we're talking about uh, generosity. And, and I'm, I'm going to start by saying I'm pretty sure that PMC is already a pretty generous congregation. And I say that in part because studies show that religious people are typically more generous than non-religious people. And if you are here on a summer Sunday in the Pacific Northwest, you are almost definitionally religious people. <laughs> they say that people who attend uh, religious services, so church, synagogue, temple, uh, mosque, people who attend services two times a month or more give four times as much as people who never attend a religious service. And religious people tend to volunteer more, too. So of all the volunteer time, all the volunteers in America, three-fourths of them belong to a religious organization. Now, to be sure, you can find very religious people who are very stingy, and you can find non-religious people who are astoundingly generous. But on average, leads me to believe that PMC is already a pretty generous congregation. And I'm going to go one step further, and I'm going to say I think that people here at PMC are even more generous than other religious people. Now, I have no stats for this, no data, no studies. I have no idea what any of you give to this congregation, let alone what you give anywhere else. And so maybe this is just a little bit of pastoral pride. But I've been part of this congregation long enough to have learned some stories of astounding generosity with people's money, with people's time. But I think even more so, it's the persistent generosity that I see week after week, year after year, here in this congregation. The, the money you give to support the ministries of the church, the money you give to support Mennonite Central Committee, a Mennonite Disaster Service, and a lot of other things that start with M. The way you've stepped up as we've started in on the Family Promise Program to house homeless families in our community, uh, the investment you make in the children of this church, and, and just the meals and the prayers and the friendship that you share, especially when people are in a time of crisis or stress. I like to think that PMC is very generous, and I like to think that in part because I like to think that I am very generous, and I think that I am. You know, if you look at the studies, our family proportionally gives a lot. I'd like to think that I am generous. And then we read a story like this text today from John chapter 12, and it makes me think again about generosity. So this story is a story about generosity. It's about two kinds of generosity, though. The first is the generosity of Mary. And if you don't know, just a couple of weeks earlier in the sort of flow of the gospel stories, and you can read this story in John chapter 11, Jesus had raised Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, from the dead, and now there is a party, and Jesus is the honored guest, and you can imagine the gratitude, uh, the affection, the joy, the love that they felt toward Jesus, and you can see it in Mary's generosity. Mary kneels down to wash his feet, and typically guests would just wash their own feet. If it was an honored guest, maybe a servant would wash the feet of an honored guest, but here it's Mary who kneels down. She lets her hair down, and as I understand the culture in that time and in that place, that was an act of, of, of intimacy that probably would have left most people in that room uh, embarrassed, awkward. 
And then she takes a pound of costly perfume, pure nard. And she doesn't dole out just sort of a symbolic amount. She pours out the whole thing. She washes Jesus' feet and then wipes them with her hair. It is extravagant, wasteful, impulsive, certainly prodigal generosity. So that's the generosity of Mary. In this story, there's also the generosity of Judas. And I'll just say right up front, I have more Judas in me than I have Mary in me. Not the thief part, but the generosity part. So it's Judas who asks the question that probably uh, several other people were thinking, and that is, why was this uh, perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now, at that time, a denarius was uh, a day's wage for a common laborer. So 300, that's basically a year's wage for common labor. I haven't done the math on minimum wage here in Oregon, but that's got to add up to twenty dollars or $30,000. So this is a significantly valuable gesture. Why didn't she just sprinkle his feet? Why be so extravagant? Why be so wasteful? Now John makes sure that everyone knows that Judas was thief, that he was unconcerned for the poor, that he really just meant to steal from the common purse. Still, that's a really good question. And I would say that's a really good Mennonite question, because this is exactly what we do, right? So it's not in the bulletin this week, but a couple weeks, and for a number of weeks, there was an announcement in the bulletin about the Oregon Mennonite Relief Sale. And if you're new to Mennonites, we have this thing called Mennonite Central Committee. They do relief development, peacemaking work around the world. Our congregation is very supportive. And in October, in Albany, there's a big relief sale. It's like $100,000. All of it goes to MCC. And so there's an announcement in the bulletin asking people to bring stuff, to give stuff, right? So the mental marketplace needs handcrafted items from fabric and wood and pottery. The so much store needs fabric, notions, quilting supplies. Books are needed. Quilts are needed. For the general and online auction, organized outing services, hosted meals, vacation stays, handcrafted items, and so on it goes. And you know what we're going to do with all that stuff? We're going to sell it, and we are going to give it to the poor. That's the generosity of Judas, isn't it? Practical, intentional, thoughtful, calculating, and really, really good. And that's what I like about Portland Mennonite Church. You know, we, uh, a few years ago, so this is 2018, 2019, it was back before the um, pandemic hit, we decided we were finally going to uh, renovate the lower level downstairs, right? Some of you remember what it was like down there. The kitchen was almost non-functional. The stove didn't work. There's two rickety old refrigerators. The way it was set up, it was really almost non-functional. The rest of it was just sort of a basement. So we finally decided we're going we're to renovate this space. And one of the first and most important questions we had to ask was, how much? How much are we going to spend on this? Churches spend millions of dollars on their buildings, not us. How much is enough? How much is too much? Because if we, give any, if we spend any more than enough, all that money could have gone to the poor. We are very comfortable with the generosity of Judas, even if he was a thief. He asks a really good question. But what's interesting, I think really significant in this story, is that Jesus doesn't really answer it. And I'm not sure, but I suspect it's because Jesus doesn't accept the premise of the question. Judas asks, why wasn't this uh, uh, perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And what Jesus says is, leave her alone. Leave Mary alone. She bought it so that she might keep it 
for the day of my burial. Now, to understand that sort of cryptic answer, you have to remember that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He and his, his followers, his friends, his disciples were going to celebrate the Feast of Passover. Jesus, at this point, knows the inevitability of what's going to happen when he gets there. He knows that the powers that be, the religious powers, the political powers that pretty much have had enough of him at this point, they are going to arrange to have him killed. And so whether Mary fully understands it or not, and I'm pretty sure she didn't, Jesus knows that she is anointing him for his burial. In the gospel story, and remember, again, gospel literally means good news. In the gospel story, the good news is that God spares nothing in loving us, in loving all of us, in loving all of creation. God spares nothing, not even God's son. And so Jesus, who in his life and in his teachings, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus embodied the love of God. Jesus showed us what the love of God looks like. He showed us the kind of life together that that sort of love makes possible, right? He called it the kingdom of God, the beloved community. And for the sake of that love, the perfect, persistent, unending, unsettling love of God, Jesus especially at the end of his life, endured threats and danger and pain and shame. And he refused to be fearful, to be reactive. He refused to lash out, refused to retaliate. And even at the end, as he was being crucified, he forgave the ones who were killing him. Jesus gave himself. He gave away his life in love for us all. At the heart of the gospel story is the extravagant generosity of Jesus, who, and, and this is from the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter 2, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the extravagant, lavish, abundant generosity of God's love, the love that Jesus embodied. That's the good news. And it's news that we all need to hear. If you are poor in spirit, if you've lost your way, if you're carrying the weight of fear or failure, if this week you haven't loved someone the way you wish you had, if maybe you've hurt someone, or you've been dishonest with someone, or if you find yourself getting pretty pessimistic and you're wondering when or if things are ever going to change for the better, or you're starting to get pretty cynical, or even if your life is just fine today, or even if you're here and you're not sure you believe any of this stuff at all, we all need to know that we are loved. We all need to hear that God loves us. Always. Always. God's love never runs out. You can never put yourself out beyond the far edge of God's love. There's always enough and more. Now, to be sure, we can refuse love. To be sure, though, God will never refuse to love you, to love us all, to love the whole wide world. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? God spares nothing for the sake of love. And that's the part that Judas never could understand. Judas premised his life on the assumption of scarcity, and that's the faulty premise of his question. 
Judas was afraid that there wasn't going to be enough. And so he not only guarded the common purse, he stole from it. And soon enough, he will betray his friend for just a little bit more. He will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, Judas, of course, is the classic bad guy. But we all live in a world that teaches us scarcity. We live in a culture, we live in an economy that teaches us to be afraid that there will not be enough. And so we learn to be careful and protective and suspicious and frugal and calculating. And that limits our capacity to be generous. We end up with a generosity that doesn't ask very much of us, a generosity that allows us to protect and sustain our particular lives, but a generosity that limits our capacity to love our neighbors. We're taught to assume scarcity. And if that's the premise of our lives, then Judah's question really makes a lot of sense. I mean, Mary gave away a year's wage. She should have been less wasteful. She should have been more careful. That stuff's valuable. In a world of scarcity, those calculations add up. But this story teaches us the good news that we live in a world of abundance, that God spared, that God spares nothing in loving us, in loving all of us, in loving all of creation. There's enough. There's always enough. Enough love, enough mercy, enough beauty, enough water, enough air, enough earth, enough good gifts for everyone. In God's world of abundance, Mary's gift, Mary's generosity makes perfect sense. And it's that kind of generosity that the Spirit means to grow in us. Generosity that offers the best of our time and the best of our talents to others. Generosity that heaps attention on children and friends and neighbors. Generosity that invests in people, even when it's not clear what the return on investment is going to be. Generosity that's free and even foolish with forgiveness. Generosity that loves even what is unlovable. And not not just generosity for its own sake or generosity because it's a nice thing to do or generosity because... Generosity makes us happier and healthier people, although studies seem to show that too. The generosity of Mary, and, 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 and Mary's generosity mirrors the generosity of Jesus. That kind of generosity draws us into the kind of life together that God intends for the whole creation. Generosity and all those other fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, those all draw us into life together in the kingdom of God, life together in the beloved community. And so it strikes me that to be part of that kind of life together, we do have to widen the definition of generosity. It's what Lisa was getting at in the children's time earlier. As she pointed out, for most of us, we think of generosity basically as giving away, giving away money, giving away time, expertise, attention. And it is that. And all of that is good. This week, though, I started to realize that for me, uh, generosity also has to, has to mean uh, giving up. Giving up things like power and privilege and control and some of our certainties. Now, I recognize I say this as a straight, white, sort of well-educated, kind of upper-middle-class male in America, in a country that was set up for guys like me to prosper, which in itself is a vision that's grounded in scarcity because it privileges some and it sure hurts a lot of others. If we're going to be drawn, though, into that vision of the beloved community, then generosity has to mean giving up. At least for people like me, it has to mean that. It means giving up some of the privilege that we've taken for granted 
Maybe some of the positions of power that we just sort of by default assume are ours to fill. Um, Giving up the assumption that we're the ones who get to decide the stories of our churches or our country or the future. So giving, uh, generosity is given away and giving up. And I think it also has to include giving back. And here I'm thinking about reparations, about repairing historical harms. And as a congregation, we're developing a practice of reparations. For the last three years, we've put that as a budget line uh, in our budget, a line in our budget. Uh, this year, the amount is 3,500, half of which went to SCI, half of which, uh, half of which is Self-Enhancement Inc. up in North Portland. Half of it went to NAIA, which is Native American Youth and Family Center. Um, we had speakers from both of those groups come and talk to us. Uh, some of us went up and volunteered in the community garden at NAIA. And I hope that you and your families are, are talking about the part that you can play in repairing historical harms in this country, historical harms to indigenous communities, historical harms to BIPOC people. And at some points in life, um, maybe, maybe it's just learning about uh, the history of oppression and exclusion and injustice and violence. And maybe at other points, uh, you can make small donations to NEA or SEI or any other group. But there might also be transition points in your life when you have the opportunity to be generous like Mary. And I'm thinking here about my friend Steve. Steve uh, bought a house up on North Williams before it went upscale, before they put a new seasons in up there, before Tasty and Son opened up right across the street. Well, when they sold that house, because of gentrification, because a large part of the African-American community had been pushed out of that, uh, that area of the city, historic black neighborhood, the value of his house had increased, I don't know, three times, four times. As an act of repair, they gave away, their family gave away $200,000 to groups working in that particular neighborhood. And when he told me that news, I have to tell you, I started immediately thinking like Judas. What about your kids, Steve? How do you know that those organizations are going to use that money wisely? Maybe you should have set up a foundation. Then you could just dole it out a little bit at a time, kind of keep control of it. But when the time comes for us to sell our house, our house that has already increased, I don't know, two or three times in value, four times maybe, I don't know. When the time comes to sell our house, I want to remember the generosity of Steve. And I want to remember the generosity of Mary. And I want to remember the generosity of Jesus. Generosity means giving away, giving up, giving back. I would like to think that I am generous. I think I'm always going to wonder, have we given enough? Have we held on to too much? I think that generosity is always going to include some calculating. So for me, it's been helpful to remember uh, something that Israel Bear once said here at Portland Mennonite Church. Israel Bear was the founding publisher of Street Roots, and he came here a couple times to help us think about how we as a congregation respond to homelessness, both at an individual level, at a systemic level. And in one of those meetings, someone asked him, and it might have been me, uh, what do you do? I mean, this is a guy who's at the forefront of the, uh, responding to homelessness in Portland. What do you do when you see someone flying a sign on a corner? What do you do when you see someone on the sidewalk asking you for help? And he said what they do in their family is they decide ahead of time what they're going to give. Give that day, give that week, give that month, maybe give for the year. They decide ahead, and then they give it away. They give it all away. And then once they've given it away, that's their part. That's, that's enough. 
we all have to figure out for ourselves and for our families how much that is. How much to give away, give up, give back. To whom? How often? It's a congregation. We have to figure that out too. And it's not always obvious and it's not always easy. But if we're going to shift from the generosity of Judas to the generosity of Mary, it can't begin with calculations because we are too immersed in a scarcity, of con- a scarcity economy. Generosity, the fruit of generosity that the Spirit means to grow in us, has to begin. It has to be grounded in faith and hope and trust in the abundant generosity of God who loves us all. May it be so. Amen.